Today's episode of Draft Class is brought to you by the Google Assistant. With the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, and around the house. One of my favorites is to get the latest sports info when I'm in the car and can't be messing around with my phone. With the Google Assistant, I can get the latest scores, team records, and schedules. Download the Google Assistant today. Draft Class is also brought to you by TheRinger.com. On the site today, you can find a piece by our own Danny Chow on the pros and cons of having Rudy Gobert as the anchor of the Utah Jazz defense. Next Wednesday, we also have an update to the Ringer NBA Draft Guide, so check that out at nbadraft.theringer.com. Also, on the Ringer Podcast Network, One Shining Podcast just put their first annual Duffy Awards show. It's a really, really fun episode. Titus and Tate, are, as always, are hilarious. It encompasses everything that transpired throughout the entire college basketball season. And of course, it's Friday, which means there's a new episode of NBA Desktop with Jason Concepcion. I'm actually on this week's episode, so go watch it on the Ringer's YouTube channel or on any of our social media channels. Now, it's draft class. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Kevin O'Connor, staff writer at TheRinger.com. This is Draft Class. Joining me on the other line, as he does every Friday, is fellow Ringer staff writer, Jonathan Sharks. Hey, what's up, man? I'm calling you from Vancouver because even when I'm on vacation, podcasting never sleeps. <laughs> Hell yes, Speaking man. of that, where's our, our friend Danny Chow? Isaac, do you know? Where's Danny? Danny was supposed to be on this week, but he can't join us because he told me, as the playoffs are approaching next week... He has gone into the mountains to clear his heart and soul of anything outside of basketball, and he will come back as a consecrated man, quote, a man consisting of only ball, hoop, and court, unquote. Okay. It's like LeBron James before the playoffs, you know, he got to go zero dark 30. I appreciate it. Danny is a, a remarkable editor, a remarkable writer, and a remarkable podcaster, and maybe we'll have him back next Friday, the day before the NBA playoffs start. All right, guess it's time for class. So this is a mailbag episode of Draft Class. We're going to do this on the first Friday of every month, which means we have two more of these, unless we do one in July as well for Summer League. So two or three more mailbag episodes coming up. So thank you, everybody, for submitting your questions using hashtag RingerNBA on Twitter. If you want to continue submitting those for next month's episode, feel free, but you're probably better off waiting until the end of the month. So let's get going on this. First question is from at ChristianSwag7, who asked, how much stock do scouts actually put into single performances, such as Dante DiVincenzo scoring 31 points in the NCAA title game for Villanova? I would say it's more like if it reinforces something they already believe. Like if DiVincenzo hadn't been playing all season, if he was like Spike Albrecht, it wouldn't be a big deal. But the fact that he did put in the work during the season of the sixth man, it's kind of like a nice little window on what he could be in a bigger role next year, hopefully. So it's like, it's kind of, if it reinforces they already believe, I think it makes a little more of an impact. That's the way I look at it too, Charks. I think for DiVincenzo, his apparent scoring ability, his playmaking ability, his athleticism were all apparent, right? Throughout the entire season for Villanova. But that was really just the big highlight moment for him in, in the biggest game. He scored 30 points earlier in the season against Butler. That was his other big performance. He's had 25-point performances before. But it really is a hopefully a preview of what he does next season if he goes back. Because he's probably a late first to mid-second right now. But in a weaker draft class, if he comes back to Villanova without Brunson there, without Bridges there, and has a big season in more of these games, maybe we're talking about him as a mid-lottery pick next year. Would you agree with that? 
Oh, a mid lottery is high, but I mean, he'll have a great season. All the tools are there for him to do it. I also appreciate that a guy named Christian Swag was answering this because I would say Swag is his best attribute. Like DiVincenzo comes to play in big games. If you remember last year when they lost to Wisconsin, DiVincenzo kind of took the game over as a freshman. He has a very high swag level. I think generally scouts don't put a lot into March Madness. People I've talked to over the years, they look at it as, yeah, they're on a bigger stage and perhaps how they perform in pressure situations matter. You don't want to see guys choke. You don't want to see them bricking two free throws. You don't want to see them really just their games being minimized under the bright lights. But if guys are good in conference play in February, if they're good in January, one bad game isn't going to kill them in March. People were talking with DeAndre Ayton earlier this month with Arizona being one and done in the tournament. Oh, does this change his stock or or what does this mean for him? It doesn't really mean anything because scouts are looking at such a large sample. It's not just the college game sample either. They're looking at his play in high school competitions. They're looking at his play at the high school level. They're thinking about how he is in workouts, how he is in interviews. There's so much more than just the one game in March Madness. It just so happens that all the bright lights are on that game. That's when the most people are watching, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the most important. I would say it's all about like confirmation bias. It's a lot like Summer League. Like If I see something in Summer League that I already believe is true, then I'm like, yeah, see, it happened again. But if I don't believe that, it's like, oh, it's just one game anyways. Who cares? Like with Aiton, like I've been hitting on his defense all season. So, of course, when he has a bad defensive game, it's like, see, look, I told you all he's bad at defense. But, you know, if I was like a pro Aiton guy, I'd be like, yeah, it's just one game. So it's really all about you come into it a lot of times. Definitely. That's what oftentimes people need to be careful of is you know, sometimes, you know, you can get locked into an evaluation based on something you might have seen in high school or something that happened earlier in the season. But in reality, it's a long trajectory for these guys. So it could be exactly as you said, Charks. It could be that, yeah, guess what? Aiton has serious issues on the defensive end of the floor and he might never fix them. But it could also be just really where he is now, where he's been all season. I don't think the tournament game really makes much of a change in the evaluation. I think maybe one thing is like, it changes how you think. Like, here's the next level. Like, it changes how you think other people think. So like, if you were a Zaire Smith guy at Texas Tech, you're like, I like this guy. He's a sleeper all year. He has a big tournament. And you're like, well, now I think I'll probably be a first round pick because people are talking about him. But you've already thought that. But now it kind of forces you to evaluate where you have him on your board. Because now you're thinking, well, now his stock's going to be higher in general. So we've got to like think about taking him higher. We otherwise, would normally if he had lost in the first round. Next question from Miles Jamison at the Miles Files. Who is a low floor, high ceiling player that you'd be willing to bet on early in the draft? It's got to be the dude we were just talking about, right, Charles? Zaire Smith from Texas Tech. The terms of the ceiling could be really high. He's one of the most fun players to watch in this draft. But with Zaire Smith, so he's got this incredible athletic ability, skilled guy, has good feel for the game. But can he shoot? Can he be a shot creator? No one really knows because he was in that weird Texas Tech motion offense. He didn't dribble that much. He didn't shoot that much. And so... It feels like he's a lot like Hamadou Diallo last year, but even bigger case where maybe he's awesome. Maybe he develops from this great player, but maybe like his just underlying skill set isn't that high. That's exactly why he's the guy that stands out to me because there's a chance that you're looking at him and you're like, oh, if we fix his jumper, he could be this. If we improve his playmaking, he could be this. But in reality, that doesn't always happen. I made a mistake in the 2013 draft with KJ McDaniels. I observed a lot of the same things with Zaire Smith. Granted, McDaniels was a lot older 
in college, and that's kind of the difference here. Zaire Smith isn't 19 yet, whereas I believe McDaniels might have been almost 22 in his draft. Yeah, he was a junior, I think, when he junior, went out. Junior, yeah, and he was a little bit older, too, within his class, I think. And with K.J. McDaniels, all the elite athleticism was there. The defensive ability was there as well. Granted, there were some issues on that end. The offense was not. And with Zaire Smith, I think there's more to like from him than there was with K.J. McDaniels. I think he's better instincts. There's better feel for the game with Smith. And that's why, to me, he does have a, a low floor, but the ceiling is also significantly high. And one other guy that comes to mind who we don't really know if he'll declare yet is DeAndre Hunter from Virginia. Oh, but see, I would say he's got a pretty high floor, though, just because of his size and shooting ability and defense. I suppose he does fit that bill, but I guess what I mean is because he's so young, because he's coming off the injury and there's a level of uncertainty with him, that there is a greater element of risk coming off the injury. Whereas prior to that, it's like, yeah, he did have the high floor because of his defense. Well, I think too, like he was a six man. Anytime you're a six man in college, you're guessing. You remember like Marvin Williams? This is way back in the day now, but he was like the freshman six man at championship team. And everyone was like, Marvin was going to be a superstar when he gets to be the guy at the next level. He never became that guy. He was a good player, but because he was a six man on a good team, it was easy to kind of dream on him. And we didn't, never really got to see him in college be like the guy. So you're just kind of guessing. Guessing is the type of thing that you, sometimes you have to do. And, and this kind of leads us into our next question from Ryan Rand. Which players currently ranked outside the top 10 do you think could be this year's Donovan Mitchell? In other words, which guy right now kind of ranked in that 21 to 35 range like Mitchell was around the same time of year could just jump into the mid to late lottery? I would say first off, obviously, like what Donovan Mitchell did is incredible. And that's probably not going to happen. So if you expect the guy to be Donovan Mitchell, you're probably disappointed. To me, the guy's very interesting in this range. He's probably ranked a little higher as Lonnie Walker at Miami. Didn't have a great year as a freshman. He was kind of the third option on that team, coming off a knee surgery. But you can see like the underlying skill set. He's a super athlete, got a pretty good shot, You know, positive to turnover ratio. I mean, there are things to like about him. And maybe in a few years of polishing, he could be better than what he is now. I have two guys that come to mind, and one of them we just mentioned, DeAndre Hunter. I could easily see him rising up the rankings if he did decide to declare. The other one is Mitchell Robinson, who didn't go to college last year. He's ranked everywhere. Talk to NBA people. Some will have him ranked lottery. Some have him not even in the first round. Some websites, same thing, mid-first, late-first. He's everywhere all over the board. I'm not super high on him at all, but the talent is apparent with his athleticism and his two-way potential. He could be like a, we talked about this on a prior pod, John, where you mentioned up top, you'd rather pass on some of these bigs and take a value guy in the middle of the first round. You mentioned Robert Williams, Daniel Gafford before he took his name out of the draft. Right now, Mitchell Robinson is in that same general range, but with good workouts, if he has great interviews, which is kind of a big question, his stock could certainly rise and into the mid to late lottery as well because his talent is ridiculous. I mean, he has that basic generic, like, rim runner, switchy screen, block shots, defensive ability. Like you can see it. It takes like five minutes of watching him play. It's like he'll be catching lobs for a long time in the NBA. So that's there already. For sure, he's a guy who could be going all over the board in this draft process as it goes along. And it's always interesting guys like him because if they allow high school prospects to go straight from high school to the NBA, we're going to have a lot more conversations like this where there's more variance on where guys are drafted. So Mitchell Robinson is kind of a flashback prospect in the sense that we used to have high school players coming straight to the league. 
but he's also kind of a possible preview of the future too because of the fact that I think at some point perhaps the league will make that change. So we're going to have more Mitchell Robinsons. I'm not sure they will. I think they don't like the variance. I think that's why they don't want to make the change. I'm less sure than I was before, that's for sure. I just have a feeling that's eventually what's going to end up happening. Do you want it to happen? Yeah, see, I would go one of two ways. Either we're going to scrap the whole thing, go academies at like 13 or keep it how it is. But I think going halfway in the middle of going out of high school doesn't really help anybody. Next question is from Billy Habibi. Which 2018 prospect will win the Lowry Marketing Award for player most crapped on by KOC when drafted, but ends up being an absolute stud his rookie year? <laughs> Shouldn't this be the uh, Jason Tatum Award for me? <laughs> you know, actually, that, that could be the case, John. So let's use the Google Assistant to help us decide the title of the award by flipping a coin. If it's heads, it'll be the Lowry Marketing Award. If it's tails, it's the Jason Tatum Award. Hey, Google, flip a coin. All right. You got tails. Okay, it's the Jason Tatum Award. Congrats, John. You got your way. (laughs) So who is it? I'll stick with the Duke guys, Bagley. Like, I've been worried about his defense, and I've been worried about his shooting. But at the same time, like, he's a stupid athlete. He's pretty skilled. He's going to put up stats right away, most likely, wherever he goes. Yeah, it's Bagley for me as well for all the same reasons. I mean, like, we have Michael Beasley as a comp for him in the 2018 NBA Draft Guide, which I don't think is totally insulting in the sense that Beasley has had some good moments. If he's a more consistent Michael Beasley, that's not the worst thing in the world. We're not saying it'll be Michael Beasley, Michael Beasley, but if there's elements of his game, it's not so bad. The other guy is your dude, Charks, and I haven't really crapped on his game much at all, but I'm a little bit lower on him than a lot of other people. Jaron Jackson Jr., he could make me pay if I end up having him ranked like 6th or 7th. Somewhere in that But range. I would say with him, it won't be as like immediate right away because he's not like a yes. ball-dominant guy. I think like he'll card in the NBA and he'll have value, but it'll be like more like subtle watching a lot of NBA value. It won't be like, oh, looking at the box scores. But I could see Bally being like, you know, Bam Adebayo or Julius Randle on a bad team and just putting up huge stats. And everyone be like, how do we pass on Marvin Bagley? He's so great. I think the guy that generally could make everybody pay is probably Trey Young. He's gotten a lot of crap. It swung really far on him, that's true. Yeah. Trey Young could make people pay as well because started high at the beginning of the season, super low now. There's some people that consider him like the 12th best prospect. I still think he's a mid-lottery guy, six, seven, eight-ish range. But for folks who have him outside the lottery or in the 10, 11, 12 range, I think he certainly could make people look silly as well. Don't be on Twitter tweeting about Trey Young as a rookie because he'll have some games yeah. where he has like 35 points. It's like, this guy's amazing. And then I'll have a game where he'll go like one for 15 against Patrick Beverly and be like, how is he in the league? (laughs) I think you like to see those flashes, though. It's okay if you get that level of variance from a rookie, though, I think. Absolutely. Next question from Nick, at Polite Llama. Good Twitter handle. I don't like angry llamas. I know, very polite. I like that, Nick. You asked, out of the tanking teams, which ones are a lock to be back in the lottery next year regardless of what happens, and which ones, if any, are a good pick away from thinking they can get 35 to 40-plus wins? I think the easy answer is Memphis, right? Because they got Conley, they got Gasol. As far as a team that's going to be in the lottery again, it's hard to bet against Sacramento. I know you're a big fan of their culture change, but I'll believe it when I see it at this point. And I think my Dallas Mavericks, we're we're looking at a long rebuild here. This is not going to get better anytime soon, in my opinion. Yeah, I think there's a handful of teams that apply to the first part, you know, the teams that will be back in the lottery. I think Atlanta will be back, Dallas back, Orlando 
Sacramento. If you want to say there's six tanking teams, so Phoenix, Memphis, Atlanta, Dallas, Orlando, Sacramento, I think three of them arguably are going to be back at the bottom of the league with next year's draft. But the thing is, the Sacramento doesn't have their pick next year. It's going to either Philly if it's number one or Boston if it's two to 30. Okay, KOC, I have a question for you. So like, let's say Memphis is probably the best team to bounce back. Are those other five teams, you got to pick one that's very unexpected breakthrough. Who is it? It's Phoenix. Phoenix, sure. yeah, that makes They sense. have the best player of any of those teams than Devin Booker. Yeah, I guess that's a different... Who do you think stays? Do you think they keep Len long-term? I wonder what happens this offseason. I, I think Len's gone. What about Peyton? I would let him go as well, unless it's super, super cheap. It might be. Yeah, it certainly could be. And I think that was why it made sense to get him for the value that they did, because they already had enough draft equity this year with all the picks that they had, and that they could get a 24-year-old point guard who's shown some flashes over time, just like he has with Phoenix. He also has his issues. But for a backup point guard, I, I think he'd be an interesting guy on a cheap contract. Is Tyson done with them? Does he have one more year left, or is this it? He has one year left, 13 Man, that, that contract so. aged poorly. Yeah, it did. That's a rough one for them. But I but I like Phoenix a lot. I love their youth. Dragon Bender still needs to get a lot more aggressive, a lot better. But they have Devin Booker, man. That's a guy you want to build around. With Lennon Chandler, I want to see Bender at the five. That's why I want to see them kind of unclog this. You love small ball. I love your love for small ball sharks. Stay on brand. <laughs> you guys are also forgetting Josh Jackson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's been good. Overall he's been pick really last good. Year. I was about to bring him up. <laughs> yeah, he's had a good little run last year. Yeah, Josh Jackson's been really, really good. They have a lot of talent on that team. TJ Warren's a really nice spark plug at forward to have off your bench. You know, if they hit the summer with their pick, if they hit either with a trade or with all their cap space, that could be pretty good next year. Next question from the real MVP at Big Unit 35. Who is the safest pick in the draft? The guy with 0% bust potential. I want to say Michael Bridges. Oh my God, it's Mikhail Bridges. I'm sorry. It's Mikhail Bridges. I'm sorry. It's not Michael Bridges. I've yeah, I thought you should just start calling him Mike Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got to be the safest, right? Like yeah. Mikhail is a great shooter, great defender, smart player. Like he's a plug and play guy anywhere. It's yeah. hard to see him not being at least decent. I think Luka Doncic, safe. Mikhail Bridges, safe. Even Jaron Jackson, safe as well. How about a guy outside of the lottery? I know there's no such thing as 0% bust potential, but is there a guy that you view as for sure going to be an NBA player? I feel super strong about saying that. Off the top of my head, how about Shake Milton at SMU? I always liked Shake's game. I feel like he's a little underrated right now, but he's 6'6", seven-foot wingspan, really smart player, really good shooter, ran point in college, can play off the ball in the NBA. And SMU is just really going to good job developing wings lately. They do a good job coaching these guys up, developing their skills. Like He'll be a guy who's probably a late first-round pick, but I'm pretty confident Shake Milton sticks in the league. I thought you were going to go with the guy you slacked about this morning, Jonte Porter, Michael Porter's brother. I love Jonte. Jonte's nice, man. Yeah, he's an intriguing guy. Next question from Slevin Keller. I butchered your name. I'm sorry. Your Twitter handle is at Caspage. How do you think DeAndre Ayton will match up against Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Joel Embiid, Carl Towns, and Anthony Davis in about five years? That's a good question. It is. is he bigger than all those guys, like in terms of just pure size? Maybe Embiid's bigger. But he's after that, he's probably the biggest of those four, isn't he? He's comparable. At least comparable, yeah. Like he's definitely like wider shoulder than Davis and Porzingis. Like he'll be a tough one on one cover in the post, regardless. I don't know if he's gonna guard those guys very well, though. It could certainly end up looking like the Spider-Man meme. When him and Carl Towns go against each other, where they're just pointing and they're like, 
you know, they're identical. Do you get the reference, Sharks? Oh, yeah. I'm not that out of touch. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know about the Spider-Man meme. Come on. What am I, 50 years old? I'm just making sure. <laughs> because as you said, DeAndre Ayton is weak on defense. And right now, that's the truth. So Carl Towns, he also is very, very inconsistent and very underwhelming in the defensive end of the floor. But he's also an insane talent on offense, just like Ayton could be. I, I think they can end up very comparable players where the questions about them remain like, will he get better on defense? Why does he bite at all these pump fakes? Can his perimeter defense be better? Why doesn't he do this consistently? Here's a good question, Kevin. Where would you rank Aiden of those five coming into the draft? I feel like I'd have him at fifth. Okay, so out of those five, I'd have Davis one. He was a sure thing. Yeah, he was a sure thing. I'm going to go with Joel Embiid before the back injury. So eliminating that story that came shortly before the draft. Embiid would have been second. Third would have been Towns. It's tough between Aiden and Porzingis for me. I think I'd go Aiton slightly ahead of Porzingis only because of the evaluation at the time. I'm trying not to let what he's become taint my opinion because I loved Porzingis. I had him ranked 10th or 11th in the year before he declared when he pulled his name out in June. And then I had him like fourth, I think, or fifth in the year of his draft. I I I loved Porzingis as a prospect, but... Nobody could have expected him to be as good as he was, as quickly as he was. Yeah, he was so skinny. That was the big thing back then. Remember, that was the old Mark Madsen thing when the Lakers worked him out against Mark Madsen. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody thought Porzingis was going to be a very, very slow project to develop. Yeah, people thought it was going to be Bender-ish in terms of his like tradition to the NBA a little bit. Exactly. I I think that's a perfect comp in the sense that Bender's development is... It's just so frustrating because it's happening so slowly. But you also have to keep in mind that he's only 20 years old and he was somebody that everybody expected to be slow to develop, which was part of the risk in drafting him, knowing that he would take a while. Whereas Porzingis, it was kind of the same exact thing, but he just exploded immediately. Sharks, we're about to go into our lightning round. But first, do you know who our sponsor is today? Yeah, Draft Class is brought to you by the Ringer merch. Yes, we have exciting news for all you Ringer heads out there. The Ringer has new merchandise with a shiny new storefront that you can check out right now. We have hats, hoodies, and even an exclusive Shea Serrano disrespectful dunk t-shirt. Your friends will be low-key jealous when they see you strutting down the street with an official Ringer zip-up hoodie. My wife is not always the biggest fan of like sports gear, but she loves the stuff at TheRinger.com. So you know it's good. Melissa Charks approved. Previously available only to Ringer staffers, we are letting you, our loyal listeners, get first dibs on the goods. Go to theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your merch now. These are limited run items and will not last long. Once they are gone, they are gone. Again, check out theringer.com slash shop to pre-order your official Ringer merchandise today. You can also find the link to the Ringer web store in the show notes. And now, back to draft class. All right, it's time for the lightning round. Thank you again for everybody submitting your questions. We're going to blow through a couple of these. This first question is from Frank LaSala. Very simple question, Sharks. Is Grayson Allen a first-round pick? No. He's just not worth the trouble in my mind. All the stuff off the court. He might be a good NBA player, but there are guys like him with all the questions about his kind of makeup. Here's my thing. What stuff off the court? Where he's tripping people. Oh, yeah. That's stuff on the court. Okay, that's true. That's fair. (laughs) That is on the court. That's my thing. It's like all the dirty stuff he does is on the court. He's not a problem in the locker room. He's a hard worker. Everything I've heard about him, he's not a bad dude. He's just does some really dirty stuff on the court, like trying to trip guys sometimes. (laughs) He just runs too many bits for a fringe guy, like too many bits with him. (laughs) That's why, for me, I'm 
super attracted to a prospect like him because that dude plays so hard, man. And like, if you erase some of that stuff, those bits, as you mentioned, there's some talent there. I think give him NBA spacing with his shooting ability and his athleticism. There's potential for him to be a Eric Gordon type of player. Ooh, Eric Gordon is nice, man. That's a big comp. Shoots spot up threes, attacks closeouts with a lot of spacing on the floor. There's a little bit of that with him. And, you know, if you if there is a little bit of that dirtiness, so what? I think maybe he ends up like a Danny Ainge type of guy. Throwback comp. Ooh. Ainge was throwing balls at people, getting into fights and scuffles. It's not a bad thing, I think, to have an energizer. Question from Chris Wolf at PNWNBA fan. Who in this class would you most want to play with for a day of pickup basketball? It's got to be Luca, right? Just the way he plays, man. That's pure pick. <laughs> like just the feel, the passing, the shooting. It's easy. I don't know. I'd want to play with like a big dude. Seven foot. throwing oops all day? Yeah, just throwing oops. I think that would be fun. Granted, you could also throw some oops to Luka Doncic as well. I'd like to play with Bamba. Seven foot nine wingspan, seven feet tall, can shoot threes a little bit. Nobody could stop Bamba and pick up basketball. If you brought him in the court, you're like, hey, I got my friend Mo here. Well, no one's stop any of these guys if you're going to get technical with it. (laughs) That's a good point. But Bamba would be striking and impressive. Uh, I would love to bring him. Jay Johnson at jjohns14 asked, would any high school players go in the top 10 of this year's draft, or how about the top five? I mean, to me, it's those two guys at Duke, RJ Barrett and Cameron Reddish. I mean, if Barrett's shooting, which I don't, I don't know if he does shoot really, but if he's shooting threes, he could be like the number one player in this draft if he was like a good shooter. RJ Barrett would certainly be in the top five, I would think. Cameron Reddish, maybe not top five, but I would say top 10. Beyond that, it's tough to say. It's uh, Zion Williamson. I know a lot of people would bring him up as well. Uh, Romeo Langford, maybe top 10. But look, this year's top 10 is pretty strong, right? Yeah, it is. It's a strong top 10. So we talked earlier with Mitchell Robinson about the variance of high school prospects within this year's draft class. Teams would be less hesitant to, I think, take a swing on one of those more risky high school prospects. I mean, the one guy for sure is Ball Ball. Like, he's a guy you could fall in love with and swing really high for. And that's the thing. Like, this is why these questions are so tough. Because literally all it takes is one team to be like, this is the guy. You know, we have this guy second on our board, and we have the sixth pick. We're taking him. Like, that's all it takes. I remember Thon Maker two years ago. Like, nobody had him top 10. Nobody. Nobody. But Milwaukee obviously loved him, took him 10th. That was shocking. When Milwaukee took Thon Maker, like, what was your reaction, Charks? I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? I was just totally shocked when it happened. I was at a draft party and my friend Jay King, Celtics writer who actually just got hired by The Athletic, he was in the room and <laughs> I like literally screamed out loud and he can back this up. <laughs> That's true. I was like, what? And yeah, um, it was just the most shocking thing. I thought he was going to go 20-ish. There was like some rumblings and he'd be lotto, but 10? That shocked me. I'm still surprised by it. I wonder if Milwaukee regrets the pick, but probably not because you look at the guys that went after him. Yeah, that draft was pretty weak, so. Yeah, there were some good guys. Sabonis went 11. Turing Prince went 12. Juan Hernan Gomez, who I still like a lot, (laughs) even though he's kind of buried in Denver, went 15th. But can't knock the pick. They took a swing, right? Thonmaker's a high upside guy. Just hasn't panned out yet, but the flashes have been there. Simon MCD11 asked, if you were the Knicks and you had the choice of Mikhail Bridges, Colin Sexton, or Trey Young, who would you pick? Ooh, that's a good question. I think it would come down to how much I believed in Frank, right? Like, if you think Frank's going to be your point guard eventually, you go with Bridges. But if you think Frank's really a two, 
You might have to take one of these point guards. Or could you go one of the point guards anyway? Because you want a multi-ball handler offense. Could it also be system-based how you want to build your team? To me, I view Frank as more of a, just a guard. I mean, he guards multiple positions. He doesn't just guard point guards. He can cover up a weaker defender. And he can play off ball a little bit, but he can also play on ball. So I wouldn't hesitate honestly at all to take a guy like Trey Young or Colin Trey Young especially yeah I guess it's, it's all about the team you want to build because like what makes Frank so interesting is you can go like an all defense team imagine Frank and Mikhail Bridges the one and two you can switch everything as two seven foot wingspans incredible defense Bridges would be my guy too simply because I haven't ranked ahead of those other guys and plus it's harder to find those guys as well that are three and D wing super versatile guys next question from Real SQ at Squidwa. Should the Clippers draft two prospects with their projected lottery picks or try to deal them both to move up for one stud prospect? we got to ask Isaac, right? As our Clippers guy, the floor is yours. Yeah, sure. So right now, the Clippers would have the Detroit pick, which should have the 12th best odds for the lottery. and Then the, their own 13th. Yeah, right? then their own 13th pick. You know what? I actually would trade up. Not because I believe in the top 10 guys, but... Mostly because I don't believe in our player development. Interesting. Like the Clippers player development has never been good. Doc has never developed good players from the draft. That's true. We just need one surefire guy. Maybe that's Mikhail Bridges. Maybe that's Trey Young. Or one guy with like star potential. Again, that would be Trey Young or even Michael Porter. But I don't know who would trade down though. Who's going to trade down from the tanking teams? I don't see the appeal for really any team. And like you're not going to get a top five. Six, seven, eight. Where's the appeal in trading down to 12, 13? I think there's a probably a, a I don't want to say a clear drop off, but there's certainly a, a decline in talent unless a guy were to slip. I think you would need to give up more than 12 and 13 to trade up to seven or even six or in that general range. Uh, maybe trade up to nine, but is it worth giving up 12 and 13 to get to nine? Like, would you do that, Isaac? Probably not because that would be what, like, Miles Bridges, Wendell Carter, Zaire Smith. Well, that's the thing is like maybe you do if you consider that guy the fourth best player in the draft. This would be like a Justice Winslow thing. Or no, the Charlotte Hornets. What was it? Like Frank Kaminsky? Yeah, (laughs) yes, exactly. They were offered four or five draft picks. And they just because the Celtics wanted to trade up to get Justice Winslow, but they decided to keep the pick because they wanted the great Frank the Tank, Frank Kaminsky. You know what's funny though? Remember when uh, Sacramento traded down from 8 to 13? It was from Chris to Papayanis, and they got yep. Bogdan out of it. It just shows how much y'all really know about the draft, because looking back on it now, maybe Bogdan's the best player in that trade. For sure. I, I still like that trade for both teams. I think Marquise Chris for Phoenix was worth a swing, just hasn't worked out. But Chris was, a, again, one of those low-floor, high-ceiling type of guys, and you know, it just hasn't worked. But I think they had to afford to take a risk, whereas they had a ton of picks anyway. Giving up Bogdanovich is tough, though. But that's why, you know, 8, 9, 10 range might be worth trading down. But I don't know if you're going to get much higher than that if you're the Clippers. Yeah. And by the way, the Kings, they waived Papayanis. Yeah. Just a couple months ago. Yeah. Insane. And then Papayanis signed with Portland. Tough path for him. Interesting pick. Probably one of the bigger busts in that year's draft. Well, I'm ready for grades. How about you, Charks? I'm never ready for grades, but I suppose it can't be helped. <laughs> Isaac, we're, we're ready. We're ready for him. Sure. I feel like in the last few weeks, all I've harped on is pronunciation. And I am going to continue to harp on you guys for your pronunciation of these prospects. I corrected myself in that thing. Exactly. So, Charks, starting with you. Your repentance for your Mikhail Bridges pronunciation was very commendable. Uh, it truly melted my heart. Charks, you get an A for today. Oh, what up? Amazing. But Kevin O'Connor. What up? 
you brought up a certain prospect who was taken by the Milwaukee Bucks at number 10. His name is Thon McCurr. Really? It's pronounced McCurr. Oh my gosh. I didn't uh, even know who, that. That's who terrible. Who pronounces it McCurr? Him. The, <laughs> the guy whose name is Thon McCurr. For who? <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting this. So it's pronounced McCurr, but nobody yeah. pronounces it McCurr. Yeah. But, well, now we're going to start, but, I guess. But Jonas Yurebko is Jonas Yurebko, but everybody calls it Jonas Yurebko. So would I get knocked for saying Yo- for saying yes. Jonas? 1,000%. What? 100%. Are you for real? <laughs> yeah. It's Yurebko. <laughs> I like it. Stickler. But to be fair to you, you did have a lot of great answers for our listeners. So I'm just going to give you a B minus. Oh, thank you. I'm cool with that. Yeah. And also, (laughs) my third and final grade is for our listeners who submitted some great questions for us to answer. Thank you for all your questions. Thank you for using hashtag RingerMBA. Keep submitting them throughout the month of April. We're going to be back the first week of May as well. So A++++ to our listeners. Yes. Yes. Seriously. Thank you to everybody. Always. Everybody. Seriously. Wish we had more time for more questions, but we will be back next month, as Isaac said, and we'll answer more of them then. Well, that was fun. Thank you for listening to Draft Class. We'll be back next Friday, the day before the NBA playoffs, and hopefully we'll have Danny Chow on next week as well. Please check out all of our NBA content on TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network. If you like the show, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Special thanks to Oso Oso for providing our intro and outro music, and thank you to Isaac Lee for producing the show, and thank you to Elon Musk for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Have fun this weekend. Peace out. Peace out.